0: Romans chapter 12 is where we're at this morning. Last week we looked at verse 9. So this week we'll look at verse 10. Um, well, actually we'll go forward a little bit on that one. Um, I want to go ahead and read verse 9 through 13. I think I'll throw 14 in there just for fun, and 15. Okay. Romans 12. It says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Boy, don't you wish that that verse was not there. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no evil for evil and have regard for good things in the sight of men. If it is possible, as much as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath for it is written vengeance is mine I will repay says the Lord therefore if your enemy is hungry feed him if he is thirsty give him a drink for in doing so you will heap coals of fire on his head do not overcome excuse me do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good father we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning as we look into this passage Lord, that we would allow your spirit to use us as an inventory of who we are as people, of how we are walking with you. And help us to ask that question of ourselves, are we lagging in diligence, are we being fervent in spirit, and are we serving the Lord? So speak to our hearts, we pray this morning, in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. I'm trying to figure out what that low sound is what's that okay if that door is open if the do- if that door in there is opened, if you could close it for me harv that'd be great thank you i'll try to ignore it um nothing like stopping and bringing attention to something huh <laughs> okay okay i'm back all right <clears throat> In, in verse 9 of chapter 12, Paul is moving away from the gifts of the spirit or the, or the charisma in the Greek. And he, he's, uh, he's talking about from those functions. And now he's moving into basically virtues that he is, is calling all believers to walk in. And as is his characteristic, we see this in First uh, Corinthians 13. We see this in Galatians chapter 5. He leads off with love. We talked about love last week, and I'm not going to touch on this. I'm just kind of getting going here a little bit. Um, And the importance of us loving each other, the importance of us walking in love, to be loving without hypocrisy, which I found interesting in verse 9 because it doesn't necessarily say who we are to love. I think in the context that is talking about loving each other, but I also believe it's talking about loving God. And I, I think part of why Paul brought forth this issue in this passage, following up on gifts, as he's instructing and talking about gifts, I, I think he's thinking here that, that He's warning us. He, he's really driving us back to the real heart of the matter of what our life is to be like in our relationship with Christ. Uh, because he even, even goes on to say that, that, that if I, you know, in 1 Corinthians 13, that if I speak with tongues of men and angels but have not love, my speaking is what? It's like a clanging cymbal. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I hate the sound of a clanging cymbal. I, uh, um, I, I won't go on that. Anyway, but I, I, can't, I, I, I don't like the sound of cymbals unless they're played well. Uh, they just they drive me crazy. Um, and, and worse than that, if you really want to see me head for the hills, bring in a tambourine. But anyway, um, th- those things just drive me nuts. But, uh, but this is a call toward virtue. And Paul knew, Paul knew that our, who we are as people – Because if if we are given spiritual gifts and we begin to practice them and we begin to operate in them and we begin to see God show up and begin to see God do a work, we start to think that all of a sudden maybe we're pretty special people. And it's an issue with pride that we have. and, and, And because I've seen this, it's called spiritual pride. I don't know why it's called spiritual pride. There's nothing spiritual about it, right? But it's this operation of pride by people because God has gifted them in such a way that all of a sudden they think they're just a little bit higher than the rest of us. It's a hard thing to deal with. And the problem with pride is all of a sudden our giftings become more than what we can really handle more than what we can really steward. And I, because I think pride blinds us to the truth. Because when we start to see ourselves operating the gifts and we become prideful about it, all of a sudden we start to think that songs like Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like you, but we don't sing me anymore, right? In other words, we start to see us, ourselves as, okay, I, I'm past that. You know, and and I think we always have to, to stay in, in the realm of humility that says, but for by the grace of God, there go I. Pride blinds us, I think, from the truth. And um, it causes us to start to see things as we want to see them, not how they are. I think eventually the, the biggest problem with pride is that it, it eventually causes people to lie to themselves. And they have this this overly inflated view of themselves and others. But an overly inflated view of themselves that, that isn't true. And it can snowball. My son was playing in the snow yesterday. I showed a few of you pictures of his snow dog that he, that he built out in the backyard. It looks like dogs. Actually, not bad. But he also rolled this ball across the snow, well, just a ball of snow. And the next thing I know, this thing is like this, this wide. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but it's a lawn ornament now, at least till it melts. But that's how pride can be in our lives. It begins to accumulate. It snowballs. And we move from one state of unreality to another state of unreality. I think conversely, if we are walking in the spirit and not fulfilling the lust of the flesh, according to Galatians chapter 5, that we build spirit upon spirit in our lives. We begin to grow in, in our understanding of the faith. And, and it, it has that snowballing effect as well. We forget sometimes that the giving of God's gifts, even if the person is operating in pride, God may show up and God may still give gifts because he is still wanting to be gracious to those who receive, for example, the teaching of the word of God. God is a very gracious and a very long-suffering God. And I think at times that we mistake that attribute of him for him being either being complacent or really not caring or perhaps the sin or the pride in our life really doesn't matter. But he's long-suffering. And he desires to use us... minister to other people he desires to use our hands our feet our voice our bucks to minister to other people to serve other people he doesn't send angels well maybe in the form of guardian angels and i don't want to go down that trail today i know i some of my i've had guardian angels i think they probably quit you know because i got tired of working overtime right It is no mistake that the Lord said we are the body of Christ. We are his hands. We are his feet. And he desires to use us in his ministry to the world. Now, verse 10 is a hard, it's a hard verse, all right? It's a hard verse because of the way it's written in the Greek. Um, I'm going to read to you from a different translation that I don't normally read from. It's called the New English Translation, netbible.org, if you're interested. I I think it's a pretty good translation. They actually print these type of Bibles as well, but it's online, netbible.org. And I'll read to you verse 10. First, I'll read it in the New King James. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another. The N-E-T, New English Translation says, Be devoted to one another with mutual love, showing eagerness in honoring one another. A little different, isn't it? Be devoted to one another in mutual love. This word love is based from the Greek word phileo, which means, well, I'm going to almost contradict myself in a minute. You'll understand. It can mean brotherly love. It really better means family love or familiar love. I'll let the cat out of the bag because when if you have a new King James, it says, uh, "Be kindly affectionate to one another in brotherly love." That word brotherly love in the Greek is the word Philadelphia. All right. You know what's interesting about this word in this text? It's translated brotherly love. It's in the feminine. I don't know why, all right? That's for extra credit, all right? Uh, do what you want with it. I, and, and that's why some translations will, will, will get away from the gender on this. Uh, why is it being translated in the, in the male gender instead of the female gender? I have no idea. It, it probably has to do with, with the culture of that time. So actually, ladies, a lot of the verbs, a lot of the nouns in this little passage are in the feminine, by the way. So, um, Just so you know. And it's talking about virtue. All right, anyway. Don't get prideful. No, anyway. This idea of family affection, brotherly love. And it's this this idea of of, uh, this transference of a sense of affection toward our fellow Christian. And in, in, the, in some of the translations, it talks about outdoing one another in showing honor. Uh, in, in the NET, it simply says, be devoted to one another in mutual love and showing eagerness to honor one another. Do you like to honor others? Okay, let's move on. Um, do you like to be honored? I don't know if I like either one. <laughs> I like to like, find a nice low place and just hide out there, you know. But, but, but sometimes I think we misunderstand or have a, a too much of a grandiose definition of what it means to honor another person. You know, so next Sunday, it's not going to be Daniel Freeze Sunday, all right? So we're not going to, anyway, as an example. I think we do things like that. Sometimes we, we push the envelope a bit too much. But how can we honor them? How can we show them love? How can we show them respect? I think there are many, many different ways. And a, another view on this particular passage is, is the idea of esteeming one another, um, In the book of Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. In lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Now, that word esteem in other translations or in other passages where that word is being used, it could also be translated, let's consider ourselves. So, how how do we how do we view ourselves how do we view ourselves in 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 connection to the body of Christ without going into what Paul wrote to the Corinthians of the importance of the entire body of Christ but how do we view ourselves in connection with one another are we showing family love toward one another now Family love can be a tricky thing, I know some of your family stories, and so I totally understand this and sometimes I'm thinking maybe this is not the best um illustration but the reality is and i i i've I've heard this from you a number of you and w- w- because family can be so difficult, right, and yet. At the end of the day, and you may not even expressed it to me, at least in these words, but you've said it, they're still family. They're still family. And there's something about family that I'll I'll move heaven and earth if I have to for my kids. Um, Even if I don't want to do it. And I think most of you, if not all of you, are really the same way about that. But this, the, this calling into a family type of love for each other, where we have that sense of care, where we honor each other. You know, it was, it, I, I think it's weird. Um, well, there's a lot of weird things about me. But I think it's strange that both of my kids have keys to my house, and I don't have keys to theirs. But, you know, uh, all right, so maybe that was a bad confession. I don't know. But, uh, but, you know, I mean, and they don't walk in, by the way. Of course, the grandkids do, but, you know, they do what they do but nonetheless they have that ability to come in and to just be a part of what's going on in our household at any time and to be in a place that we honor one another that we think about one another that we 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 give thought even even I think okay none of you strike me as rude okay Okay, so understand, I'm not I'm not picking on anybody. I, I didn't see something happen and decided I need to address it. Uh, I, but I do think we, even in in the gathering together, that we love and respect each other. And I, I think you guys all do that. I think you do a good job of that, actually. But let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. See, that's the pride that enters in. When, when, when we forget that the gifts that we have been given have been given to us by God, and they've been given to us by God with the intention for us to serve one another. As I've said to you in the past, I think <clears throat> some people, they, um, they drive me crazy because they, they talk about their gifts, and it's almost like they're in, in a Boy Scout troop. And it's like they wear that thing that has all the merit badges, you know. Thank you. They wear a sash with all the merit badges. And it's like it's like they're gifts of their merit badges or something. You know, it, God gives what he gives for his own purpose. Um, God didn't call me into pastoral ministry because I'm smart or I'm spiritual. He called me into pastoral ministry. I'm convinced it's because I need a short leash. You know, Um i hate to see what I would be like if... Anyway. <laughs> Some of you know me better than others, don't you? And Anyway. We've worked together. It tells us then not lagging in diligence. Not lagging. I think that's self-explanatory. I, I, this would be more my paraphrase than an actual Greek definition of the word. In other words, don't be a slacker, is what, it, what, what, he's, what he's saying here. Don't be a slacker in diligence. This idea of diligence, it, I, I looked it up, and it's, it refers to an earnest commitment in discharge of an obligation or experience of a relationship. It's a relational word as well. But it's an earnest commitment to discharge an obligation within the context of a relationship. Perhaps a stretch. But it's almost like it's saying anything that's worth doing is worth doing halfway. No, it's worth doing right. Do we have that sense of earnestness? Do we have that sense of diligence in in? in all that, that Paul is talking about here as far as being uh, kindly affectionate to one another in family love, in honoring each other, giving preference to one another. Rejoicing, excuse me, uh, lagging in diligence, fervent. I had to look this over because I got, I got stuck in this thing. I used to call it fervent. Uh, nobody corrected me, um, but it is fervent. Fervent. Um, this is an interesting word because it's a word that's used to describe boiling water. Think of that. Because you get a pan. Okay, your wife gets a pan, all right, and fills it with water, and you put it on the stove, and it, it's nice and calm at first, right? And then it gets warmer and warmer, and it starts to boil, and it's just all this this activity going on. Um, that that's That's a word picture that's used the to describe the condition of our heart um, when it tells us to be um, fervent in spirit, fervent in, in who we are as a people. Um, but notice then it says serving the Lord. This word serve. Serve refers to an act or a conduct of oneself as one who is in total service to another. Someone who is in total service to another. It could refer to the duties of a slave. It could refer to serving. It could refer to obeying. It refers to being in service to other people. Some of you have businesses. I, you, I, I know that you would hope that this would be a description of your employees. But to be in total service to another. And it's interesting to me because I think, and I was talking with a guy recently and. and He's talking about good works or what we do for people, but I, I, and he has some good, some good points to, to, to try to further his argument. But I, but I'm seeing here in the scripture that the good works that we do, this idea of kindly infection and to one another and family love and, and preferring each other and and not not being a slacker but being diligent uh, and being the sense of fervency in our hearts, is how we serve God. Did you ever think about that? Think about what you do in related to your spiritual life. Is it really, if you really stop and think about it for a second, is it really most of it eventually, Really, in service of God, and not in service of the person you're serving. Although, again, the illustration of the body—we are His hands, we are His feet, we are His mouth—and that all these things. See, this goes back to what what we've looked at, and, and we're actually we're looking at it on Wednesday night in in uh, in verses four through eight with this this partial description of some of the spiritual gifts that we have been given those are given to us that we might exercise them so that ultimately we're serving the Lord so if we are serving the Lord let me throw this out here for you if we are serving the Lord is that not an act of worship Or is, it, is worship only when we just come in here and sing a few songs? Serving God any way we do it really is an act of worship, I believe, to him. And it is an act of worship as we exercise the gifts that he has given us That are empowered, I believe, by his spirit. Enabling us through the power of his spirit to perform the gifts he has given us. Which we do based on what? Faith. So it's interesting that the worship of God begins with God. As he moves upon our hearts. And uh, calls us into that which he has called us into in the form of service. And then it is then directly turned back and given to God. It really, I I really think that's really the real illustration in the book of Revelation when it talks about the the crowns that we are given and that we cast our crowns before God. Why would we, you or, or I, be given a crown in the first place? Because of what we have done, the service we have done, the work that we have done. And to be able to take that, to take the, and the crown represents all that you, the entirety of your life in service to God. And to take the entirety of your life in service to God and to present it to him as a act of worship. The idea of casting a crown, which I my mind goes back to the heave offering in the Old Testament where you would actually heave something up toward heaven, heave it toward the Lord, kind of this gesture that you would uplift it. And in recognition that all that I have, all that we have been given, any abilities that we might possess have given to us, Because every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights of whom there is no variance or shadow of turning, James tells us. Every good and perfect gift. And we use those as a way to minister to others, but ultimately, it is in the service of God and as a form of worship To him. Remember back in verse one of chapter twelve that you present your bodies a living sacrifice wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. There is the Greek word litreia which also could be translated what worship. So he just. Paul just cycled us back to verse 1 here in verse 11. Serving the Lord. I got a few minutes. We'll do 12. Rejoicing in hope. See, this struck me. I'd rather rejoice when it's no longer hope. Right? when you? You're with me? I'd rather rejoice when it's been fulfilled. So who we are. My head's just swimming around with it. Give me more, God. Give me more. You ever, you ever been around people? I've been around people like that. They drive me crazy. But anyway. Um, for goodness sake, he saved you. Rejoicing in hope. Let me rephrase it. Rejoicing in the possibility. Rejoicing in the future vision that it will come. Even though right now, today, your life doesn't feel at all like you should be rejoicing. This word hope refers to looking forward to something. I think that's pretty basic. But it's looking forward to something with some reason for confidence that you will experience fulfillment. As I I thought about this, and boy, there were so many different ways I could I could go with this. Uh, I thought about Abraham and, and the description of him in Hebrews 11 and others who, who, who died in faith, having not receiving the promises, but they saw them afar off in hope. And they looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. See, the more I think about that, that passage, it just, it just rivets me. It just really, I, I feel like I'm barely, barely have any kind of understanding what that is really talking about. <clears throat> But it, I think it relates to even Psalm 42 where deep is calling out to deep. The depths of my soul is being called out to by the depths of the almighty God's soul. Psalm 42, 7. And, and that, that we can hope in something. Romans chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. I had to go back to that. It says, I, I love this passage. It says, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Boy, I, I could almost sit in silence for a long time and not say a word. Just think about that. He calls those things which do not exist as though they did. who contrary to hope. In other words, they had no reason to believe but contrary to hope, in hope, believed. It's referring to Abraham, so that he might become the father of many nations. No wonder, gosh, I'm almost hesitant to say this, but I'm going to. No wonder Abraham was called a friend of God. But it's not, how do I say this? Because I'm trying to avoid a totem pole mentality here, right? His faith and his walk with God is not something that you cannot attain to as well. He called those things which do not exist as though they did. You know, I I think at times we need to remind ourselves that God does that. I'm going to be bold enough to say, I think at times we need to remind God that he does that. At times, I think we need to say, Lord, I just need a lifetime, a lifeline, excuse me. I just, uh, my hope is fading. We sang it this morning. I hope it 's built on nothing else but Jesus Christ and his what His righteousness but I, at times it just it just seems like it, it just diminishes, it just fades, but we we have a God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. See that takes me so far. Uh, 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 in comprehension of really understanding that His wisdom is so far beyond ours, His plans are so far beyond our plans, and and I read verses like this, and I and I have to confess, I don't have God figured out at all. What in the world am I doing up here? Right, but I have hope. I have hope. I have hope when I pray and I pray for situations and I pray for people like I've been praying for them now for years. And will continue to pray for them as long as I still have breath. Because I have hope that there is a God who calls those things into existence that uh, and speaks about those things as though they did exist, even though they do not currently exist. I have that hope. Contrary to hope. In spite of the circumstances. In hope, believed. Patient in tribulation. Hmm. This word patient or enduring means that you maintain a belief, you maintain a course of action in the face of opposition. It's a very strong word in the Greek. You maintain it in the face of opposition. It means you stand your ground. It means you remain firm. In that which God has called you to do, you hold out, if you will, patient in tribulation. Who in the world wants to do that? I think at times. These types of verses, these types of virtues, again, that Paul is talking about here, they don't mean that much to us until we get to places. And I think just about every one of you in this room have at least once. But you get to places where your back is against the wall. And this is all you got to hang on to. to be patient, to endure, to stand your ground, to hold out, to continue your course of action in the face of opposition in the midst of the tribulations and in the midst of the trials and in the midst of the difficulties and in, in, in the midst of all those nagging doubts that I think each one of us have from time to time and those times that we just think, why in the world am I even doing this anyway? Deep calls to deep. The depth of my soul being spoken to, the, to God by the depth of his soul. If, a communion that I can, I can really, I can't really describe anything more than that. But I, can, I believe I can, I can, that verse in Psalms just gives me the, the biblical uh, confidence that I'm in the right place in understanding this in my relationship to God. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. And then we're done. This idea of staying in prayer in the time of tribulation, being patient in tribulation, because you need that sense of patience. You need that sense of enduring, you need that sense of holding fast if in fact you can continue in prayer. You got to have that patience first. Prayer is gosh, I wish I understood prayer. but prayer is communing with God. Prayer is spending time with God. Prayer is, sometimes, I, it, it's, it, ah. sometimes I'll open a psalm and I'll just pray it, pray it to God and I'll just read it to him as a prayer. And And, and I'm not looking for theological nuggets. I'm not looking for personal application. I'm simply reciting his word back to him because I, be, I believe that that's, Uh, part of our calling in our communion with God is to bless him and to pray back his word to him. The early church believed that. The Psalms were their prayer book. They used the Psalms extensively in their prayer life. And and this idea of continuing in in prayer. Um, Paul said it in another passage to pray without ceasing. Now what does that mean? can you pray without ceasing well yes you can but i don't i don't think you can in the way that sometimes we like to imagine our prayers life i really think that prayer without ceasing really means to open up i i hate this term i feel like, i feel like i'm now i hate the movie, i hate the show star trek all right but it's the idea of opening a channel right Right? You know that Kirk would say open a channel and then you know the communication officer would open you'd hear these stupid noises and he open something. Anyway, I hate it. I don't know why I brought that came to mind. Anyway, I think we, we open ourselves up to God daily and just say, Lord, I'm here. I want to talk to you. But also I want to listen to you. I'll ask you this. How often do you listen? How often do you just listen to God? Which is not an easy spiritual discipline, by the way, because when I sit in silence and try to listen to God, I start thinking about all kinds of stupid stuff, spiritual warfare that just enters in, right? Because I believe God wants to talk to each and every one of you each and every day. He has something to say to you. Now, it may not be volumes and volumes and volumes of stuff that he wants to lay upon you, but, but perhaps he just wants to remind you that he loves you and that you're his kid. Sometimes I'm thinking, man, that's, not, that's better than good enough. That's all I need. And I can just respond, but thanks, Lord, I love you too. And just go about my day. And he reminds me again. But to continue in prayer. Distributing to the needs of the saints. Given to hospitality. I read this last night. Then I read Ben's post about Ukraine later. I thought, gosh, how can we not? How can we not. Distribute to the needs of the saints. I'm glad I'm not there. To be honest with you. But to continually remember our brothers and sisters in prayer. To continually bring before God. This situation and other situations. Difficult situations with difficult people in your life, with people that you love but are, have, have essentially turned their backs on God and are not walking with him. And you wonder if they're ever going to come back or if they're, or, or if they're ever going to get a real understanding of what it means to walk with Jesus or that they, they just take, take uh, the power of positive thinking and they baptize it and, and it becomes baptized but it's not converted which I I see this prevalent in evangelism, in evangelicalism. But to continue to pray for those who we love, continue to pray for the church, to continue to, even as it says here, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. I'll feed him all right. Yeah, you know, and yet this is what we've been called to do. But we can't walk in these things unless we have been given God's gifts that we I, we all are we all have, we all are recipients of. We can't walk in these our gifts effectively unless we are loving one another, unless we are enduring, unless we are patient in tribulation, unless we rejoice in hope, and for me to do all those things. I have to continue steadfastly in prayer because if you're like me, I get tired. I get tired. I get, I've told one of the brothers the other day, I just want to buy a place out in eastern Oregon and just be, go hide out, be done. I get tired. But as I continue steadfastly in prayer, deep calls out to deep. And I get recharged. And I get renewed. And I see his calling and his purpose.